You're listening to The Comedy Cellar, live from the table, on the Riotcast Network, riotcast.com. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to The Comedy Cellar Show here on Sirius XM Channel 99. My name is Noam Dwarman. I'm the owner of The Comedy Cellar. I'm here with Daniel Natterman. Yeah, I don't own The Comedy Cellar. I just and work here. And our, uh, our, the very, very sexy, thank you, very, very sexy and funny, Miss Kristen Montella. And people ask me all the time, what is Kristen doing on that show? Because she's not a comedian and she doesn't work at the Comedy Cellar. And I don't know, you want to take that, Dan? But well, I think we, you, you might want to ask Chris that. I, I don't know why I'm on this I think you wanted a female voice. And, she, and, and, and the price is right. You wanted a female voice. It was a few years ago when you started doing this and you wanted a female voice. And Kristen To be got- fair, I used to work at the Comedy Cellar. I have a good relationship with a lot of the comedians. I remain friends with a lot of the comedians. Yep. And uh, Noam was always looking for ways to suck me back into here. And not only that, but you have a a, a sarcastic, biting sense of humor that Noam thought would go well with this show. And I think that uh, he's been proven correct. I'd have to agree. Uh, That's that's not it. I'm sorry. That's not it. You guys are all wrong. Um, (laughs) uh, It was that you weren't on the show at the time. And Robert Kelly, who was our boss at the time. uh, If you're going to say this is because Robert wanted to have sex with me and that's why I'm still on the show. Uh, we're going to have an issue. Uh, moving right along. <laughs> uh, no, exactly. that we, we're looking for a, a, a co-host, uh-huh. and he thought you'd be a great co-host. And then Dan was one of our early guests, and Dan was just so fantastic. He's been staying ever since, kind of like the way Artie Lang got hired on the Stern Show, I believe, Dan. You're like our, you're like our little Artie We just Artie never Lang. lost him. And, and actually, you know... Well, not, uh, only, not, only, uh, not only did I do a good job, but I showed a certain enthusiasm... Yes, uh, for doing the show. I don't know that that uh, other at the beginning nobody wanted to do the show. That's not true. No, um, uh, it's like in Little Big Man, uh, the grandfather. Did she show pleasant enthusiasm when you mounted her? Dan, Dan showed <laughs> pleasant enthusiasm. So, uh, but um, this which brings me to something I find interesting. Dan and Artie Lang have a very very warm friendship, and Dan spent Fourth of July with the legendary Artie Lang and an otter couple. I mean, you guys literally could never were. You, you, you could be cast as the odd couple. Well, what's, what's uh, a, what, what does Artie Lang do on Fourth of July, Dan? Well, I don't know. We have a warm relationship. I think relations How are warm. How many people were there? Well, because he was doing a podcast. I wasn't like invited over for July Fourth to celebrate. I was invited over there to do his podcast. Oh. And and then after the podcast, which took a long time, because Artie kept taking breaks and he disappeared. We didn't know where he was. He fell asleep once. <laughs> um, then we had some dinner. Uh, so it took all night. Uh, but yes, I, I would I would say that we have a, we seem to have a nice relationship. I don't know. We don't talk to each other on the phone or anything like that that people do when they're friends. But who but else he, is but on he the conf- show? He confides in Dan. Well, I, mean, I don't want no, to He confides in that. everybody. He's an open book. He stabbed himself fifteen times and he tells everybody. Well, I, but that so doesn't like, mean that doesn't mean you can repeat the stories that he told you, does it? Uh, not until he said it publicly, no. That's what I'm saying, yeah. So, but, the, but the stabbing was a public thing. I'm saying he's, he's an open book. He can find in anybody. He'll tell anybody anything. Right. Um, yes, so I don't know. So it was fun, you know. All right. Uh, so so should, we, should we bring our... Well, I just wanted to say uh, yeah. happy, on that note, happy uh, uh, 4th of July belatedly to our listeners, uh, all who love America, and uh, which uh, I guess would, would, would discount a lot of... Uh, Bernie Sanders uh, voted, <laughs> but, and um, and of course uh, Noam and, and Montella. By the way, in other Natter news, um, I like that. Thank you. Um, I get I got a small role once again because I'm the I'm the king of small roles, you know. Uh, 
in Crashing in another episode of Crashing. That's the, uh, the, the, the Judd Apatow. The Judd Apatow. I think uh, Pete, Pete it, Lee. Uh, they told me I had the role, but they haven't given me a, day, a shooting date yet. The one date they gave me to hold yeah. was actually, you're never going to believe this, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be in Aruba. Now, oh, no. Oh, God. Uh, every time I get a TV... <laughs> An offer to do TV, I'm in Aruba. This is the third time it's happened. That's now, the and Jinx. Yeah, Dan turned down Louis C.K.'s role because he was in Aruba. Go ahead. I, I, well, I turned down Louis C.K. I turned down um, Amy Schumer. Now, if, in fact, the date stays where it is, I will arrange with Ray Ellen to stay in New York and do, or to come back early and do this. I will not turn down Judd Apatow because, number one, this role is a little bit bigger than those other roles, although not much. It's not a huge role. I think it's like two or three lines. And I see Judd all the time. Right. And I don't want to turn down some. And I, have, I actually have a warm relationship with Judd, comparatively speaking. I don't have much of a relationship with Louie or uh, with, with Amy. But, but Amy's Judd, very fond of you. She told me so. Well, that, well that's, that's nice to hear. Yeah. Um, I don't know. But, uh, well, then that's food for thought the next time she offers me something, if that comes up. I hope she does. I hope she does. That's it for this week in Natter News. If you want to invite uh, yeah. Lenny. one of our guests over. I prefer to roll it in gradually. All right, let's, let's, and uh, give Lenny five to ten minutes alone, and then we'll bring in uh, okay. the other Dan, guests. Dan likes a little foreplay. Lenny I, I, is chomping at the bit to attack us. I'm not, I'm not chomping at the bit. <laughs> because there's a lot going on in Lenny Marcus land. I hope oh, that okay. Lou just uh, uh, keeps our, our, our uh, show tight for us, because we, we do meander around a little bit. Um, Why? What was I, gotta tell I, you. I haven't heard any meandering thus far. Yeah. It's okay. tight as a drum. I listened to the one that you addressed the... Uh, my podcast with Kevin, and it yeah. was really good. You guys, <laughs> I didn't like what you said, but so, it was really well, no, good. So this is Lenny Marcus. He is the co-host of the Misery Loves Company podcast on the esteemed Riotcast Network. Yes, this show is getting all. It has about as big a buzz, I say, as any podcast in United States of America has <laughs> right now. But um, uh, from day one, Lenny and Kevin have have been not getting along well, and and every day it seems like they might they might come apart. Lenny's the level-headed guy. Kevin does not appreciate Lenny. Kevin does not respect <laughs> Lenny, and Kevin actually tries to make an end around around Lenny to get the money out of the podcast. It's amazing, right? Yeah. And He's a, well. He, let's just put it this way: it's not yeah. just me. I was it, he say, hates you can everybody. Insert any anybody. Name. <laughs> insert blank. Yes, yeah. you're absolutely right. Like it didn't matter. You were there. So what are your thoughts now that I heard that one too? What's I up? was on, I was out for three weeks uh, working the road. And well, you, you were working the road, you were working the or sea. You working the sea, the sea, the road. Yeah. And you sat in last week, right? So yes. now you've had, you experienced the bullet train that is Kevin coming right at you as you're tied to the stakes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's not a fair comparison because uh, he, he won't come at me the way he will come at right. almost everyone else in the world. Right. Because he wants to, to work here. And I'm not a comedian. So I, so I, I, I enjoy. Oh, no, little... not because you're not a comedian. Yeah. Not because you're not. Take that part back. That's be, okay. it's because okay, I take it back. <laughs> you own the place, but uh, yeah, so that's I, it. So I enjoy a little bit of a force field, and I and I'm I'm aware of that. But uh, but you were excellent with him. I thought you did a, as good a job as you could. But you know, it's it was hilarious. The, the show was great for 20 minutes, and then Kevin decide then then Liz's cell phone went off or something like that, and he was so mad, so mad. He really just he took the whole plane and just drove it into the mountain <laughs> for the rest of the podcast. It was unbelievable. That's exactly what happened. He started, he started staring at space. And it's like that's it. We're just we're not gonna we're not gonna play this show anyway. We're not gonna play this show anyway. And, and it was great for twenty minutes, right? Or half an hour. It was unbelievable. It was perfect. No, they were talking politics. You know, everything. Came, and then all of a sudden, 
falling off and the world was against Kevin. Is that usually what happens? He hates know. when Liz, is, he's so narcissistic. If anybody isn't listening, like sometimes I'm just looking at him like I'm looking at you now. Right. And I, if, if for some reason I blink or look at uh, down at a piece of paper, I'm not listening. Not listening. And if, if Liz looks at her cell phone, it's, it's over. So look, my, my feeling, insane. my feeling on that podcast is that it, it is probably going to be hard to sustain it as a podcast if it's all only about Kevin ranting. I totally agree. And he's going to run out of targets. We talk about this all the time. It's it's not him ranting because he could pick endless topics to rant about. He'll rant about your coffee as you know as fast as he can rant about gun control. Right. But when it starts to be the podcast about the podcast. That's when it goes off the rails. And right. people don't understand. Nobody wants to listen to you whining about this podcast or what horror things that I've done to you or listen to, which is nothing, which is nothing. And okay. they, they all know it, too. Our fans know it. But, you know, they, they egg him on with, like, no, no, get rid of both of them. You know, like, and it just makes him crazy and it makes him happy. I, and- I, I, to be fair to Kevin, I, I also think, and, I, and I, I, I encourage everybody to listen to this podcast, especially the, what are the classic ones? The David Tell, one that David Tell is on yeah. and then um, the one that I'm on. Happy miserable so- <laughs> birthday. Yeah, the one you're, on. <laughs> no. you're on for about half an hour. It was pretty good. Um, that it's, it's got to be a lot of pressure on him to do this podcast because he... I mean, if he comes in there one day and like doesn't have much to say, I mean, what are you guys gonna do? Like, like we have plenty. We I, we just don't get to say it. You know, that's the thing. You know, it's if if he's not, I would love him for not be there for a day, so we could just show you what uh, it could be because it would be a discussion like you three have. Yeah. Like it would be an actual discussion. We could still be miserable with other people. Right. It's just it's just. But if he brings up any topic and we go, what do you, Kevin? What do you think of this? Well, I think, and I give one line. The next half hour is just him filibustering. So. Is it funny? Yeah. Is he amazing at it? Sometimes. Yeah. But <laughs> Sometimes. can we get in a counterpoint? Sometimes. Yeah. Maybe I'll give him one. I'll give him a sentence of a counterpoint and then he'll go off for another half hour. So yeah. and then he'll say, you guys never say a fucking thing. So I'm like, well, who's winning this game? You know, like uh, it's really hard to you know how this works. You know, if some you don't want anybody to talk over each other because that's when it gets really bad right. to listen back to. So you try and We're just... We're not on BET, after all. Right, right. <laughs> and so when people are talking over each other, it gets really bad. So I, was, I, I probably shouldn't have said that. Yeah, well, whatever. <laughs> hey, I, I, you know, at this point, you know, the uh, bigoted comments go right through. Yeah, I didn't mean right. to bigoted. I was just thinking of the time we had uh, uh, Sherrod and uh, whatever. I'm oh, getting my, whatever. myself You're just deeper making it deeper. worse. Deeper. <laughs> well, you three, the one I listened to had Colin Quinn, SD, and then eventually Ray, both Rays. Yeah. It was, was long, but one. it was good. Yeah, and was it, good. Thank you, by the way, because I listen to these things while I'm running on a treadmill. Uh, and when they're good, it's great because yeah, yeah. you can run and it's great. Yeah. And then, of course, it's about me. So I'm laughing. And then all of a sudden, like, I'm going to kill the three of you because, <laughs> first of all, none of you back me. None of you. I'll back you on I, what? Let's on, like, let you, Kristen, you go, what do those two guys have going on that they have to fight over? You know, that yeah. was first. Like, we have nothing in the world happening. To fight over, no, she said. Or, or whatever. Over. Like, we're, no, no. You made it sound like we're irrelevant in the comedy world as it is. So why bicker? Oh, oh yeah. You I know? probably did say yeah. That. Yeah. I don't think that's what they were saying. Yo, that's exactly no, no, what she said. I probably said that. I probably okay. That's exactly what she said. So I was like, I am going to get off. One day, I'm going to fly back But there. that's But that's the, I mean, that's the nature of this show, too. It's just. I defend attack. you. No, but no one defend you, wait, let me go. Let's go to the next person, okay? Uh, Dan Adaman, who I know for uh, over 20 years, you know, and love more than anyone in this business and say Uh-oh. nothing but great things. Totally back Kevin. You know, totally back Kevin. There is no show without Kevin, but there is a show without Lenny Martin. 
awful. Awful. Oh, I, man. You can say whatever you want. Maybe it won't be as funny, but there'll still be a show, Dan. And maybe you could be a guest on it and actually get in a word in, word in edgewise, because I know well, you got yeah, a lot there, to say. There would be a show, but it would not be the same show. Well, none, no show would be the same show. That's Lenny, the point. Lenny, but, when you go to Natterman, you got to expect someone who's going to call him like he sees him. I know. And if you, you don't, and if you don't want that, that's you don't have a The show is, it's, it's, Kevin, it's Kevin's point of view, and you are, are there to assist and to help him, but it's, it's, now it's if you want to do a show, visceral it's contempt for uh, Everything. Vision now. If you want to do your own podcast, which I'm whoa, sure. Whoa, 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 back that up. That's not Kevin's vision. That's not, Kevin doesn't have a vision. Kevin has no business sense. Kevin is the dumbest person you've ever met. <laughs> you think he's very bright. He's not bright. No one was there to see it firsthand. How he could take a perfectly good plane and drive it into the fucking mountain. Yes. All right. But so it's not his vision. Robert Kelly that's, that's came that's up not, with that's this not idea. Okay, or that's not. for. Yeah, it is a totally different thing. But it's not his vision. He has no vision. Right. His vision is Kevin. Okay, <laughs> Kevin is right. He, he has Hitler's vision. Kevin is right. Hitler's right. The rest of the world just come with me, and the sycophants do. No, no, You just no, compared no. Kevin to Hitler? Yes, <laughs> I did, because he's that, he has that strength of mind to think that he is so right. He said it on the podcast. Everybody else is wrong. He's always right, okay? Now, I, I know a lot of people like that, okay? But, you know, when you want to deal everybody. I mean, everybody <laughs> at the table at some point would probably think they're me. more right. Of course. <laughs> But you do what I like about you, Noam, the most is you will listen. You know what I mean? And yeah. you, you don't have to have that opinion. And I think the three of you are all like that. You will listen to somebody else's opinion. And that's what makes friends. And that's what makes podcasts. And that's what, you know, on different levels of things, you could be, make it a podcast or a friendship or whatever. Kevin has none of that skill. None. He doesn't care if you're his friend or not his friend or, you know, on a podcast or not on a podcast, he wants it to be about him, and he is right. So why do you stay? Why do you stay I'm staying because I know the greater thing of the show is it's, it's good. When it's good, it's really good. But I can't get him, and I, I can't get him to see why that first 20 minutes, I'm trying, that's what I think. I think I can fix this, you know, like the first 20 minutes, it was so good with Gnome, and, and the show was great. And yeah, I didn't have to be there for that. Then when that cell phone went off and the next 40 minutes is him just going, fuck this, fuck this podcast, the Riotcast, people suck, the, everything sucks, the equipment sucks. And it's just about nothing at that point. But, but I, I don't think that's what really horrible. happened, Lenny. I, what, I, what I was thinking was going on was that he, he had run out mm -mm. and he was going to and, and, uh, and he just focused on this. Uh, this thing you to, ran oh, out of things to, to say yeah to uh, try to, to whatever try to but if, if i was there with you and we were talking about whatever yeah. my next you were asking him about uh what what political issue or um i don't remember it was either the kid with the alligator oh no no nobody should have a gun and he admitted i should not have a gun now he he uh, wrote yeah, right. I, I call him the, well, the walking personification of gun control <laughs> His, arguments yeah. and he actually said i should not have a gun yeah, which yeah. i was like oh my god this is the greatest <laughs> thing he's ever said yes he should not have a gun and then I would have led into, you know, his policies on gun control or what did yeah. you think about, you know, like, you know, uh, who should have a gun or, right. you know, keep that conversation going because it always leads him to something else. Even if it's me saying that for a minute, right? you know, or somebody asks a question. Well, it's funny that you say that, Kevin. I printed off the emails and somebody asked you, what's your policy with, you know, a children of the gun? Or if that story had come out when I was there, you know, the guy, who, did you hear this story about a guy who shot himself? His kid the other day no. at a gun range in Florida. 65-year-old um, guy, 15-year-old On purpose kid. he shot his no. kid? Oh, he was, he was reaching for his... They were at like the gun Cheney range. Style. Yeah, he shot <laughs> and he ended up killing his kid. And the first thing out of his mouth was, um, well, uh, the, the old line, you know, the gun didn't kill the kid, I killed the kid. Like, he even defended the guy 
even defended gun control till his own kid's death. Oh. And I was like, one, I should ask Noam this question. What do you think about that? And two, why why wouldn't I ask Kevin that? And that would have led us to another twenty minutes, you right, know? Right. So or I don't you could have talked about people being on their phones all the time and like anything. use that cell to just phones, which he's done. It. He's right. done that too. He's done that too. And something led to another one. Something we were talking about Natterman on a city bike for. 15 minutes and end up being a thing. In the end, you don't want to make Paul McCartney solo albums and John Lennon solo albums. No, but none of them were any good. All right? You got to stick together. Oh, Wings was good. You didn't like that? Well, yeah, like, it's all right. It's all right. Wings but it was wasn't the Beatles. You Look, know, I, we the, try the, as hard as we can, but at some point, it's just, uh, you know. It's just Kevin. It's and, just, and, and, it and, won't and, happen. I and, mean, and Ringo, no, you know, but I'm not saying you're Ringo. I'm just saying. It's, it's fine. It's We're talking about <laughs> podcasting. Well, Noam and I have a similar problem, but I, I think it's getting better. Because Noam and I have conflicting visions as well. We've talked about that. Yeah, but uh, uh, neither of us are crazy. But well, here's I mean, my favorite like part. Kevin, Can yeah. I tell you the favorite yeah, part of, of the podcast? After we, you had talked about like what splits we were supposed to get, and none of you said 50-50. Only Esty and Colin said 50-50, and I was like... What did I say? Um, no, I told well, them Well, at I the end, you, you, you eventually came over to this. You started a couple months ago with it shouldn't no, be... No, I told Kevin privately it should be 50-50. Oh, okay, well, you, you two didn't. Then what happened, the most interesting thing happened, it was my favorite part. You got a check from Sirius Radio for like 2500 How should we split that up? And that next 20 seconds of silence was my, I laughed for about it. I had to pause the thing and laugh for half an hour because you were literally in the exact same situation that Kevin and I were in for that 20 seconds. Like, and Natterman, you said, I didn't expect a dime. And I was like, what? <laughs> and Kristen was like, and then Kristen just said, very quiet. And you said, I, I, no, actually went 33, 33, 33, got very benevolent with that. And I was like, you know what? That's a guy right there. That's a good dude right there. 33, 33, 34. But well, ahead. you had to take out expenses for <laughs> oh, stuff, right? right? Where is that check? I haven't even seen the well, check. We, I, we if anyone's seen it, it's you. I don't think we got it yet. But go ahead. That tension for the next like five minutes while you were splitting it up, whatever. <laughs> take that. <laughs> and put it in the hands of a mental patient. Yeah, of course. And that's what you get with us. But you had the same moment there that we did. So don't yeah. fucking tell me. Yeah, but there's one you big know, difference. What, there's what? One, we're actually going to get a check for $2,500. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are arguing about no, no money. No, well, here's the funniest thing. We <laughs> would get I a check. That's what I said, actually. That's what I said. Why are they arguing about anything before no, but, they even have well, here's the, funniest the money part to of the fight thing. about? I'll tell you what happened. Yeah, I was like, good thing you brought that up. So we had a chance to get a, uh, a sponsor, okay? And the sponsor was going to pay us good money. But the spot, so Kevin's idea was, let's give him a little taste. What? We'll give him like a little taste. We'll mention him on this next one. And then we'll have, we'll go back and negotiate. I'm like, why would you do that? Why would you do that? If this guy wants to advertise, let's, aver let's get him to pay. Right. And then, or I never want to talk about it. Always him again. be closing. Always be closing, right. But suddenly, Kevin has a heart, or would show him a little. So we show him a little bit. From that point on, down the toilet, <laughs> like oh, down the toilet, the whole thing, all that money, poof. Okay, that not. So he sabotaged himself because that's what he does, right? And and but he'll tell you it was everybody else's fault. It was that guy's fault. It was the way we negotiated with him, or, we, or Rob's brand, the head of the network negotiated with him. It wasn't. It was. Whatever these things happen, that could be it. Could be that thing, you know. These things happen, but it was also Kevin. Not with the guy didn't respond in an appropriate amount of time. Fourteen seconds later, and then Kevin went with these fucking cheap 
fucks? You oh know? Oh, my God. And so now, you know, and then he decided to do this end around stuff with money, you know, and which is also pissing off the network. And, you know, a donate button. All the other podcasts on the network have a donate button on their website. Kevin goes, I want a personal one on my website. And he's getting money from it. Yeah. And the, the sycophants on our thing decided, <laughs> you know what? He is the show. We're just going to hand him money. Somebody sent him $250. A guy sent him $250. He goes, on the show, Kevin lists out, just off the cuff, what he'll give you <laughs> if you give him $250. So, so funny to we'll me. send you something if you give, like, $50. We'll just send you something. <laughs> well, what's that, Kevin? Right? He's a I don't know. Pencil. Something. Uh, a, D- a DVD, a CD. Yours? Mine? A show's? Like, what? Yeah, pencil. Yeah, old underwear. It was really funny. It was really funny. And then he goes, 100 bucks. I don't know if he's serious. So he gets to 250 and he's like, you can come in and sit on the show. You want to clear that with anyone? Or he just said, that's the way it's going to be. So yeah, a guy gave him personally $250 off of his website. And now he expects, so Kevin sends me the email that says, this guy wants to come on August 15th and sit in okay. on the show. I'm this like, is a great idea. Yeah, it, it's anybody, been done. Anybody who wants to uh, come and sit in on our show. It's $250. Send <laughs> Forty-five, fifty dollars. No, no, How not much? fifty dollars. You gotta make thirty dollars. No. How much? No, you say two more. At least. It should be at least two hundred and fifty. Two dollars. Two dollars and fifty cents. Two hundred fifty dollars to Dan Natterman. By the way, he, no, they don't, don't speak p- on the show. They just they can sit in. They can put the headphones on, whatever. And then if we ask them something, but they're not in. And we charge like, them. Per I think, word. Yeah, I think it's $500 I mean, you know, or 1000 Then you get to that sit might, in. It might not be legal on the radio, so let's not do that. I I'm have not sure. no idea what it is. Right. Being married is so fucking stupid now, right? Especially with Tinder and shit. It's so easy to get laid, right? Your phone does all the work for you. I feel like I'm making butter at home being married and shit with my kids and fucking wife. Tinder gets finds you whores, and then Uber will drive you to these whores. I mean, is that like... Is that a miracle? You don't even need a wingman or a fucking Mickey to put in girls' drinks or whatever they call them. What do they call them? Roofies? Stevies? Anyway, I don't know if marriage is for me. (laughs) But I'm not that good a husband because after a while I just don't, it's just fucking so annoying, right? But I, was not, I wasn't a good boyfriend either. Every girlfriend I ever had, when we were breaking up, she was, they would say the same thing. You'll never be with anyone like me ever again. I'm like, that's the plan, you know? <laughs> but I always would. And plus, we got kids now, so kids are annoying. And, uh, little kids. And you can't sleep when you got little kids. So you're always, like, sleep-deprived and mad and just you end up fighting with your wife about, like, anything. When we had sex the other night, we're having a, we got into a fight. Because I groaned. My wife goes, you like that? I go, yeah. She goes, what else you like? I said, a clean kitchen. Because she's a fucking slob. I'm not even kidding. She's a slob. And she's Hispanic, so I thought it was in their DNA to keep shit clean. You know, have you guys ever... you guys ever been to a hotel, the Marriott? Podcast at ComedyCellar.com. I got to double-check the email address because we moved our server a couple weeks ago. But Please do, because we used to get all kinds of emails, and now, and now yeah, they've kind true. of slowed... So, Mr. Katz! So we have a guest. You'll stay there, Lenny. All right. Uh, we've been joined by Mark Katz, who is an American humorous speechwriter, author, and humor consultant. But he wrote the book, Clinton and Me. He was 
Bill Clinton's comedy writer. Nice for the correspondence dinner and uh, and and other things like that. Correct. You've, your your Wikipedia uh, entry <laughs> that you went to is accurate. Well, I, I've been I've been reading uh, a, reading your book actually, but I, I you know you're the guy. My my publisher told me there was someone. <laughs> this is from. I'm me. so excited to meet There's you. A it says here Miramax Books. Is that related to uh, the Miramax Film Company? It was at one point. Um, but they're out of business, and and the book company is out of business. Yes, but uh, the book is available on on uh, Amazon for eleven cents, and I promise you, it's uh, <laughs> worth every penny. So, it says Hyperion, so Miramax is like an imprint of Hyperion. Uh, Hyperion? Disney, oh, yes, yes. Dan, this is people, I'm sure this people is really like so <laughs> interesting. <laughs> to to hey, hey, let's do some publishing, dude, dude. Don't, yeah. don't, don't read them the <laughs> ISBN number. <laughs> don't sabotage the cast. Sorry, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Uh, don't be Kevin. Don't, <laughs> don't sabotage the cast unless you want me to critique everything you say. Okay, go ahead, Dave. Go ahead, go ahead. No, I, well, I'm finished with my... <laughs> I'm so, finished with the particular line the, of bibliography so that I did. I, now, were you, were you an uh, aspiring stand-up comic when you... No. Uh, thankfully, uh, God spared me that, that gene uh, uh. That, that made me want to stand up in front of others and uh, humiliate myself. But I'm a sit-down comic. as, as the uh, and, uh, He's I, a humorist. I'm a humorist. So, you know, I started out like every other comedian did by getting thrown out of classes and, and had the same impulse. But I focus on the written word. And, and where, so where, how did you get the job writing jokes for Bill Clinton? Well, I, like I said, I started out as a wise-ass and I worked my way up. Right, but... Okay, how, well, how, did you, how, did you, yeah. how did you get on his radar? Or, okay, or the, so, uh, let's see. Uh, I, first job out of college, I go to work on the Dukakis campaign. Okay. okay. So, so I've made a, a wrong step right out of there. But, you know. <laughs> you were a guy that told him to get on the tank? I was, <laughs> I was counting the seconds. Every, I, every time I say the word Dukakis, I start the countdown in my head, 10, 9, and by before I get to 6, someone says tank. So yeah. you're, congratulations. <laughs> you have a winner. <laughs> say the magic word, win 100. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so on the Dukakis campaign, if you can believe this, it was my job to... I was, I'm the guy who made Mike Dukakis so funny. It's my first job out of school. It's 19, 1988. And um, put in a room uh, with me. It's size of this table right here. And it's me and it's George Stephanopoulos and a guy named Andy Savitz, who's still a friend of mine to this day. And it was our job. We were the rapid response team. And it was our job to come up with... The, this is the pre-internet, by the way, but it was our job to come up with the sound bites that were the hand tools in the daily barb of political warfare. This, for Dukakis. Dukakis. I, didn't realize, I didn't realize Stephanopoulos worked for Dukakis. Then, Absolutely but. did. Absolutely did. Well, he was you know, a young Greek politico. There were Greek people coming, uh, you know, crossing our borders to go work for he Dukakis. Had be, he had to be really young at that time. Yes, right. Yeah, he was about 27 or so. Wow. Um, in any event, so uh, after the campaign, you may know Dukakis didn't win. And um, I went into advertising after that. But when the Clinton campaign started up, George called me up and, and asked me if I was interested in working on the, on the Clinton campaign and, and writing humor. And uh, it, all, it all took off from there um, and wound up. I had this idea that I should be the guy writing the president's jokes for the White House Correspondents' Dinner, so, the Gridiron Dinner, the White House Correspondents' Dinner, all those what, dinners. What, what kind of background check do they do on you? Does, <laughs> does the FBI have to check? I mean, you're going to be in a room with the president, That's right? right. You, you could be a Manchurian candidate. I mean, like you, like you could, you, don't they have to check your family, your friends in high school? I never did. You know, so I did not work in the White House. I, were, I was a consultant to the Democratic National Committee. But no, the FBI never came to my house and asked uh, what kind of organizations I belong to or talked to my friends. So 
I could have been a Manchurian candidate. Because uh, uh, I had a, I had a, a woman who I, worked. I may in fact have you been. Might still a <laughs> I had a worked. I had a woman who worked for me for a while who was um, extremely, extremely in my, in my judgment like anti-American and hateful of the country. Oh, and you were waiting. And and years later, <laughs> I got contacted by I think it was the CIA. They, they're doing a background check on her, and I'm like, no, do not hire her. She hates this country. And they hired her. Oh wow! Yeah, they hired her anyway, and I wish I had. And you know, maybe she 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 grew out of it. But uh, so I'm just I just I know they do do background checks for people. Uh, maybe she's gonna be a mole or something. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, well, I don't know. <laughs> so all right, so now you 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 pass the checks and you and you meet President Bill Clinton for the first time. That's right. And come on, where was that? Well, uh, the first time I, I'd met him in Little Rock, but then you know, I, I, for the first White House correspondence dinner, it's April of 1993, and I had spent five. The two weeks writing jokes that I thought he should deliver to the White House Correspondents Dinner. And you got to remember, so I'm writing... So This is his first Correspondents Dinner? That's right. Okay. First in office. And uh, I had written all these kind of self-directed, self-effacing jokes about... And he had, you have to remember he had a, a horrible first 100 days in office. I mean, dreadful. Uh, uh, gays in the military, his hel- uh, uh, stimulus plan that failed, uh, got a haircut... Uh, on the tarmac of LAX, the and held up the plane. Yeah, exactly. All these crazy, things, but they were terrible first time. And travel gate was that in the first time? Of, yes. Yeah. yeah. And I'd written all these self-directed jokes, and I go in there, and um, he's looking at it, and he's very, very confused because he doesn't understand why he he should go up in front of the White House press corps and make jokes about himself. <laughs> he says, "Where are the?" Where are the jokes about them? Where I want to tell jokes that kind of... He, in his mind, you got to remember, he came from Arkansas, which has a very different political culture. <laughs> He's a hick, you know? Well, in, in Arkansas, humor is a stick you beat other people up with, uh, right? Okay. And it wasn't self... It's only, you know, only your a- savvy politician or your average Jew understands <laughs> <laughs> that humor should be self-directed and self-effacing, right? Yeah. It was completely foreign thought to him. So he sent me back to my desk to write jokes about the mean jokes. Not j- he wanted score-settling jokes. Ah, uh, oh. that never works. No, no. And this was kind of the arc. And, and that night he, he did do, do some of the, the best jokes I remember from that night was, what was the joke? He says, um, oh, God, just ran out of my head. That's oh, okay. You, you, you take your time. It'll come to you. You want to uh, look in the book? <laughs> <laughs> he goes, uh, I, oh, I don't think... Oh, the, his White House correspondence speech corresponded to his first 100 days in office, right? Which everyone knows is kind of the first big test you have to pass. Every, after all the papers write an evaluation of your first 100 days. And he says... Yeah, tra- uh, traditionally, they don't criticize a president until after his first 100 days. Right. They give him a chance to get his sea legs. That's yeah. right. And yeah. then so he, Clinton comes out. And says, uh, and then referencing all the horrible things that got wrong, said, "I don't think I'm doing that bad." After his first 100 days in office, William Henry Harrison had already been dead for 68 days. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh-huh. That's, that's pretty good. That was your yeah, joke. That's a great that joke. That's a good joke. Yeah. So that was his biggest laugh of the night. And then he went on to tell jokes at the expense of Rush Limbaugh, and actually turned them into three-day stories. Where he, when he went on to settle scores, he created problems for himself. And over the course of the eight years I, I worked on these speeches, he came to understand that you do not settle scores in these dinners. You really do take aim at yourself and prove 
to everyone in this room. These are the most cynical people in the room. It's the White House correspondence dinner. It's the correspondence, and then C-SPAN's people, viewers watching at home, and you're out to prove to them that you're the biggest person in the room. It's, it's a self-administered character test where the where the you're being evaluated how hard you're willing to go at yourself. Well, does he know himself? When is, like he doesn't have a persona other than what he's created. So does he know his the persona that's already been created for him? He knows the persona, but he's not. He wasn't open to the idea of any of using humor to kind of back it to kind of say things about himself that, that he would otherwise <laughs> yeah. strenuously yeah. deny. Well, this, you know, I don't. This is interesting, but there's nothing got, wrong with a good roast either. You know, you, mm-hmm. you guys can redirect me on this, but it makes me think of something that that I find interesting, which is that we. I mean, Clinton is, by all accounts, the most gifted politician of our era, right? Like, that's, that's, that's many, most people will say that, even his detractors. He's a once-in-a-generation political yeah. talent. But, but what, why, if he doesn't understand what... Well, this is what I'm getting yeah, at. That's that, fascinating. That we tend to think that geniuses can do no wrong. But it's often the case that these geniuses will make colossal errors. Like Clinton famously spoke for, did a, an hour-long speech at the Democratic convention and put the whole room to, you'd think this guy was so self-aware. And it was made, I always think of like uh, George Lucas after he did Star Wars. Right. What was it? Howard the Duck. Like the same, <laughs> yeah, the same right. genius that, that knew that the, Star Wars. The answer just, to your question is we all are aware of the blinds, of his blind spots. And he has Blind them. spots is a good way to put it. Even the yeah. great geniuses have blind spots. That's right. And I would say, you know, if I'm proud of anything, you know, I think I helped him kind of overcome this deficit in his understanding of this particular area of political communications, which is how to use humor as a strategic weapon. Uh, You don't want to use it to settle scores and take aim at others. You really do want to show how strong you are and how confident you are by saying, even these things that I'm joking about right now don't scare me. I will talk about it. Didn't Obama just do some great jokes about uh, Donald Trump, I think, that everybody appreciates? Absolutely. And that was a clinic. But but those those were jokes about another person. Okay, yes, good point. And the point I would make is, once He's you've very been aggressive, su- I know. Once you've been sufficient, <laughs> the first rule of political humor is being well, self-deprecating. Counter- counterpoint. That's the it. first rule is being self-deprecating, and the second rule is once you've been sufficiently self-deprecating, you've acquired the right to be self-deprecating on behalf of others. Right. To deprecate others. Well, that's right. I, you do feel that to be a rule of humor in general, or just in in the context of the political the correspondence dinner? Well, in the, in the political realm, I mean, you know, no, I agree. I think that's everywhere, don't you, Dan? But, you but the president is not a comedian. The president is a president. And he's an unusually powerful person, and a joke that's right for a, a comedian is only is rarely right for a president. You right. really have to calibrate it to who he is, the position he, he you know, the, the, his, pa- his power, his... So he didn't say, like, y'all farting in front of each other yet? That's a joke that's very, <laughs> that's, a joke that's very popular among comedians. I mean, listen, there, there's, there's rules of thumb, and then, you know, they, well, they, no, have they, some, they have some relationship to the real world. When it's extremely charming and disarming to see the most powerful man in the world be self-deprecating. Well, here's the that's thing. That's endearing, right? Here's th- but Trump... 
I, I think Trump is so universally is such a considered a buffoon by that entire room at the correspondence dinner. And also it doesn't feel like Obama's being a bully when he picks on Trump. And that's one of the big reasons. Well, right. And that's one of the ways humor is one of the great signifiers of self-knowledge, right? Well, you, you don't want to punch things. down is what you're saying, yes. which I think is more of a universal but, rule. And right. with these speeches and as Clinton started using self-deprecating, self-directed humor more and more, he did kind of show a greater self-awareness over time. I, you couldn't get those kind of jokes past Donald Trump. He wouldn't understand them. They wouldn't, he, they wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't make any in, sense to him whatsoever. In, 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 in defense of Donald Trump, I have been to two different roasts of Donald Trump where he sat there. You know, the, the, the guy, is, it, it's difficult to pigeon him because he sat there and he took joke after joke after joke about his hair, about his his love life, everything. And he laughed and enjoyed it and then did a well, second one, you but know? But that's the thing about narcissists. As long as you're talking about them, they're okay. fine. Bingo. As long as they're the topic, <laughs> exactly. they're they're cool with it. He would do one every day if they you know, talked the about it. narcissist him. doesn't care whether they're Jesus or Hitler. They just want to be the center of attention. Or Kevin Brennan. Like Kevin Brennan, I, I don't know <laughs> that he would take too kindly <laughs> to uh... Bill. Bill Bill Clinton has often been accused of being a narcissist, even by people closer to him, oh, like yeah. Dick Morris and people well, like that. Well, no, a, a narcissist is someone who lacks the capacity for empathy, and he's the "I feel your pain" president, and made his if it's and, sincere, but uh, it is sincere. But I, he's been I accused. It is sincere. I do want to just go back to a point you made, Noam. You used one of your favorite words uh, in the past uh, about uh, five minutes ago. Uh, the word is genius. And you applied it to, <laughs> well, you do enjoy that word, um, and I think you overuse it. But to what? To why, why is Bill Clinton a genius again? Can you uh, maybe refresh me? On I that? said he's considered to be one of the great <laughs> political geniuses of our time, is what I said, and that's and I'm saying that that's what people say about him. Do they? I wasn't, I wasn't I, even but saying, in what context? I, 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 well, and my counter to that, and I'll stand by it. Was he's a once in a generation political talent? All you right, know, that's another way to you know, and like that, that is his genius. Um, and look, he's you know is. He's as good. Um, he's got an amazing set of skills. I mean, even as a communicator, that is this great story about uh, the time he when he went to deliver his to the well of the Congress to deliver his speech about the health care plan. I know the story. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So he gets. He's on live national television. There's this, he's about to give this speech about. It's like a State of the Union address uh, environment, but it wasn't State of the Union address. They have the wrong speech loaded up on the teleprompter. It's on live television. And he starts delivering the speech he knows he's supposed to give because he can think on his feet in full sentences and paragraphs. And he's doing it, waiting for the guy in the teleprompter to realize, oh, wait a minute, I've got the wrong speech. Now, you or I, had we been in that situation... Would have speak, been speak for yourself and continue. <laughs> Go ahead. Had I been in that situation, yeah. I would have been taken out of that room on a stretcher by paramedics, right? Yeah. I would have passed out. And uh, But, you know, he exhibited skills people didn't know existed before he exhibited them. Dan, huh? <laughs> is that is that a pretty impressive? Well, he's got photographic memory. That's beyond right. photographic no, but I don't memory. Think, I don't think he recited the speech from he, memory. He didn't recite the speech. He made it up he, again. He started a whole he new speech. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, the guy... The guy well, I, he does some good improv skills. Uh, I'd like to see how he does in front of an Opie and Anthony crowd. <laughs> All right, so... One more challenge. He probably never forgot girls' names either. You know what I mean? Well, he was... He was he, <laughs> well, the other thing, by the way... Did you meet up, Monica Lewinsky? I never did. Mm. And I was pissed because, we, we you know, at her. the time... You know, I was uh, 30 years old, young and handsome and Jewish, mm. and I was like, why is this guy having sex with Jewish interns that I should be having sex with? <laughs> did, I thought he was kind of swimming in my pool, you know what I did, mean? Did you ever... 
<laughs> did you did you ever get any vibe about the Lothario Bill Clinton from him? Did you did you ever did you ever get that? I once, I, I, uh, I once heard him make a remark about a very pretty woman standing about ten feet away, Not and bad. and the line, and he said something effective. If I were a younger man, hmm. and I and I took that, I was actually heartened by it. I, was, I heard a guy who knew who he was, who he once was, who he is today. Um, and at one, I couldn't believe he said it out loud with me. I, it was a bunch of close aides and me, you know. Right. Uh, but he said it out loud, and um, it was a remarkable. He was comment. probably banging that girl. <laughs> no, no, really. I, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know the difference. I wouldn't know the answer to that question. But right. I do know he said something to that effect. Can you explain to me how any president can get away with any of that? They, what they have those days? They're twenty four seven. They were over Aren't they, then, though. How do they well, have that's over why then? He, But how do you have any time to do anything without 10 guys Mon- around that's you? That's why he banged Monica Lewinsky. Obviously, well, it, he could have done... It, he could have you don't want a scandal, girl, obviously. No, he was it's right. very Lenny, true to Lenny's, real They have plenty of time. <laughs> they, have plenty, <laughs> they have way more time than I think. Lenny's obviously time. trying to brag about how long it takes for him to have sex, but <laughs> <laughs> the average guy I'm can get it done pretty quickly, Lenny. Pretty quickly. No, I mean, how do you even set that up? Like, you have to... like These clandestine meetings over and over. That's why he fucked Monica, because she was there. Instead of, I don't think he had but I'm sorry, saying uh, like, uh, Well, he did with a yeah. blowjob, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, Your yeah. agenda from the time you wake up to, to the time you they go have to sleep. Down for the, time. That's got to be. Up time, whatever. whatever. Listen, if you can get an, a Mason. good crew of guys around you who will, who will cover your tracks, yeah. anything can be well, done. Well, here's the thing. I mean, people were, there was no one matter in all of America about what Bill Clinton did, circa, you know, Monica Lewinsky, than people who worked in the White House. Right. I mean, you know, when I was. Working in the White House, I didn't get illegal cable because I worked in the White House. I'm like, oh, you know what? I work for the President of the United States. I should probably be a, do my things above board. There you go. You know? And when people found out, you know, when the truth came out, they're all they're the angriest people in the world were the people who worked for him. And, and Hillary. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we see. Yeah, we're behind her. Well, by the people that work for him, you're talking about the guy that had to clean up the carpet? <laughs> Isn't it an amazing chapter of American history? I mean, the guy. First of all, you know they, this is where he's. They, they always say that the, the cover-up is worse than the crime. Just of course. This, everybody says, of course, it's not true because the the cover-up worked. In in the he so exhausted the nation with this Lewinsky thing. By the time he finally, if he had come out with it and admitted it on the day that it broke. He would have had to resign. Everybody thought he was going to resign. He just fought it and fought it and fought it until everybody was exhausted. And then finally it came out. But the thing that... But there was a price to pay. I mean, it's hard to argue that but for Monica Lewinsky, Al Gore would have won in 2000. Can you hold that thought? That's interesting. Interesting. But um, my question is... Not my question. My observation is that... He could have never counted on her saving the dress. That is the one fact in that whole story that somebody told her, <laughs> "Put don't don't yeah. clean that dress." Right. This is when DNA was really just uh, before nascent. CSI. I mean, is that what it was? It was before. It's it was right before around the CSI. Right around. Yeah, I mean, right. he had he was free and clear, you know, free and clear. And then a DNA test brought him down. It was just an. It's, I mean, you, that's a great script, right that there. Is true. That, that's, that's a great. True. Well, now, uh, wait, what, what's his? What if? If he does, if that whole scandal doesn't happen, what what are we thinking of him? Not only would there be a different president, but what would his legacy have been? Because that's what you well, know. You have to, can I can I tell you the backstory? Lenny actually probably hates Bill Clinton because he cheated on his wife. No, that, I, that's the kind of guy I hate we politics have, right? in yeah, general. But, but, but I you, think they're all. He's very human being. To answer your question, 
you know, I think the that whole part of his presidency turned the story of his presidency into a character study rather than, you know, a case study in a great presidency. I exactly. Think, I think historians will marvel and study his character more than anything else. There were great accomplishments, and he, you know, really did, you know, create that bridge to the 21st century he wanted to. And he, there were some really, you know, there's a lot to be proud of. But, but to me, I, I but to me the he's the dumbest person in the world because all he has to do is keep in his pants for eight years. Like, oh, that's Lenny. it. You, that sounds so easy when you say it that No, way. but he's, he's the president <laughs> of the United States. Yeah, if, you yeah. can't, if you can't keep yourself occupied for eight years, the day he leaves office, Power he divorces Hillary. Sweet, and sweet Lenny. Divorces <laughs> Hillary and can do whatever he wants. He can have, he can have women Your coming grandmother at must be so proud. Oh, my God. Just suck it <laughs> up for <laughs> eight. You're the president. Dude, you have to say suck it up. Come uh, on, dude. You really, Lenny. Please. Lenny, you stinks. Have you he not known stinks. temptation in your life? Oh, my God. From yeah, I know Temptation, but it wouldn't have been Monica Lewinsky. These I are the last. Pro- he's, he's, how old was he? Fifty years old? Or the forty-five? These are the, these are his these uh, are his, his, his waning years. Of he so- could have twenty-year-olds when he's sixty. Come on, he, Listen, it would have been a, a I don't leaving. Know. And people are carrying him up out of his on their right, shoulders. Let me ask you this: Let's say you Terrible. have. Let's say you have a a, 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 a loveless marriage. With a woman you no longer find attractive. Am I the president of the United States? I'm just saying. Okay, I'm just saying. Am I the president of the United States? You're making a lot of assumptions. I mean, a lot of people, and I, you know, a lot of people do talk about their relationship, and I know nothing that anyone else does, but, you know, I'm perfectly willing to believe that there is a genuine, you know, there's a genuine marriage, and these people genuinely love each other. And I think anything else is just. People, All right. Well, let's people, say there's a marriage where, where, for whatever reason, the, the 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 passion has gone out of your marriage. Is that a, is that a we don't like every about. marriage? <laughs> um, Look, be that as it may, whether he loved her, he didn't love her. The fact is, new pussy. <laughs> it's, it's always. Uh, I'm sure he does love her. He probably. I think they have a very very warm relationship. In fact. Well, he had been cheating on her again, again and, and again, again and, and again. again. Even I know stories, and this is ridiculous stories. Though. Yeah, I mean, the guy, the guy, uh, uh, he's a dog, but one can one can be a dog and still uh-huh. you can both be right. He could they could have a genuine marriage with love, and and yet he and yet he couldn't fuck her anymore. If she wins the presidency, they would have to kind of tag him like he was like a dog or something like you know what I mean, like a uh, he's like a chip in him. a chip in him. <laughs> I mean, they have to put a chip in him like he's a dog. When could, you hear these stories about these women who claim that he uh, went further, that he. Cr- certain lines of uh, decency with him, you know, exposing himself or, God forbid, uh, assaulting him, whatever it is. God forbid. Do, do you dismiss them? <laughs> do you think they could be Why true? You, needed that God you don't forbid. want me to ask you that? <laughs> they're unknowable and they're political. So it's, Well, no, it's, they're not political. The, well, they are political. I mean, they're, they're, they're a useful political tool. Right, but the girl, like, I forget, I, I'm not a big uh, buff on this stuff, but I know, like, one of the girls actually told it to her friend the day that it happened while he was Attorney General of Arkansas. You know, you know some of them are are similar to like Obama's um, birth announcement in Hawaii paper. Some some of them are like evidence that that something happened. I don't know if they have what she says, but they're not evidence that, that it's not political. You mm-hmm. know, uh, there are contemporaneous. But they're useful political tools. Look, they're useful political tools for his enemies, and they got there are no shortage of those. Right, but do, we'll never know. Are they believable to you? You know what? They're disturbing to read, and then that's look. You also got to remember go. this guy's a, he's a joke meister. Easy, you know. I, 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 maybe I'm crossing the line in what I'm even asking you. It's just when I, I, how often do I get to meet someone who's met Bill Clinton? And, you know, when you meet somebody, you get a vibe about somebody, you know. My job was to help him kind of find his humor voice to, to navigate through these, you know, the, these waters. I mean, this is a guy who, through his own actions, wound up in a 
constitutional crisis, right? right. And we're on uncharted waters. You know, uh, Andrew Johnson's joke writer left very poor notes, and he was the last president to be impeached. <laughs> that stick. Wait a second. Here. <laughs> but but no. But for, for that was my job. It was my job. So I'll tell you a funny. So so I, in the middle of all this stuff, I actually took it very hard. You know that he did this stuff, and I was very disappointed. And are I you actually, married? I I was married since I was not married at the time. Okay. And I actually thought about. I don't want to know Sherlock I, Holmes. The guy's got a ring I staring at his face. I didn't want. I, did, I was like, do I really want to keep writing jokes for this guy? In the middle of all this stuff, I was so upset by it. I called my, my. I have a younger brother who's a professor of law, and he's a, my my in-house ethicist. And I said, do I really want to write jokes for this guy? And he says, let me ask you a question, Mark. Has has his attorney general resigned? I said, no. Has has the vice president resigned? No. Has the joint chiefs of staff resigned? You're his fucking joke writer. <laughs> Write this guy some fucking jokes. Okay. Well, first of all, I got well, off the phone and I wrote the jokes. And I kid you not, Lenny would have resigned. Uh, I don't know no. about that. That's not true. Uh, you, you but were, I, the question is, so you wrote for both of the correspondence dinners that he did? He both. did two. They're every year. Oh, every year. So yeah. how many did you write? I wrote, well, there are four speeches every year. Okay. Uh, White House correspondence dinner, radio and television correspondence dinner, the Gridiron Dinner and something called the Alfalfa Club. So it's from January through April, basically, or May. So in those months, he would give four speeches, and I would write all four of them, not in a room by myself, but working with the other smart, talented people, also reaching out to some really funny people. So I called it being the uh, running the comedy war room. Uh, it was my job to kind of be the architect of the speech, but I was not certainly the sole author of it. And what are you doing in between? Like, in, like these are just every you're in the White House every day and just amassing material, or no? I was I would parachute into the White House two weeks before each one of these speeches. I lived in New York. All and what did years. you? What were you doing? Then? Just, I was I was just a, waiting I, to I, write. I had a consult. You know, I do different speech writing projects. And I, I, I you know, the name of my firm is uh, enterprise called the Soundbite Institute, uh, and good. I do different. Speech writing and humor writing. Did, did joke content. ever bomb? And Clinton said, that fucking cat. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, the Great answer question. is I'm very proud of the fact that no joke I ever wrote kind of turned into a story, a problem. And, I'm, and that's no small accomplishment. Right. And you're, this is radio, but you will test the fact that I'm patting myself on the back <laughs> right now. Um, so I, I am proud of that. You know, uh, there were jokes that did bomb. <laughs> Uh, but those were him freelancing. I mean, I could point you to a couple of jokes where he was like up there and feeling it, and he's he decides to kind of go off script. <laughs> and a couple of those jokes created problems, and that was part of his learning process. I mean, he had to get you know feel the sting of what the wrong joke will do to learn you know how to use humor. Now, where did he test the jokes? Did he come down to the? Uh did he go to Gotham? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's hard to test. You know, you we can't would test sit the around. Jokes. We would, you, there would be hours point, and hours. That is a good point. Yeah. So, okay, Somewhere so buried there, in the shtick is a good there, point. There, is, there were rehearsals. And you know, the, the hard part about writing jokes in the White House is that there are half a dozen people in the entire place who can write a joke. And there are 200 people in the place who can kill a joke. <laughs> that is tough. Okay? <laughs> yes. Um, and that was the real challenge of it. Um, but we would rehearse it, um, and you know what? The and you know, before every speech started, I would meet with you know the head of the one of the top political aides, and they would tell me what was off the table, what we couldn't talk about. And in my mind, every every time they said a topic like that, I said we must find a way to talk about this. That's good. For and you. that's the difference between you know a humor mindset and the humor paradigm 
and kind of what I call the legal paradigm or the political paradigm, which is humor paradigm is concede everything, right? Mm-hmm. The legal paradigm is concede Seed nothing. nothing. <laughs> and the political paradigm, which I think, you know, I had a hand in helping them understand is do what works, right? It's a pragmatic paradigm. When you concede nothing or next to nothing and get back something, that's a trade you should make every time. Right. And in this case, what you're getting back is sounds like laughter, but it's really political capital. Every time I tell a joke or someone tells a joke and you laugh, we just agreed about something. If I say a joke and you laugh, we just agreed. Now, what do you do with that? Where do you go with that? How do you spend that capital? Because the next words out of your mouth are that much more believable. Right. You, so after, after you concede something, okay, you said that. Now I know this guy is, is on the level with me. And I, and I will give him more leeway as he tries to explain to me the next thing. Can, can you just repeat that thing you said? When you concede nothing, it's, it's a trade you should make every time. What was that? Uh, concede the out. Well, I can't. No, remember. when you concede, is there a concede, anyone concede nothing and gain something. What was yeah. it? What, what? Conceding the obvious. No, you said like uh, it, it reminded me of Kevin. Remember what I told Kevin? It's like when he, I told him you're giving away. Like you guys aren't making any money yet. I was saying you're conceding nothing and getting back a show. You should, it's a trade you should make every time. That's right. right. That's what you should tell Kevin. Well, he okay. hears you. <laughs> I told you he's the dumbest person you know. Like it never goes in. A narcissist blocks that. Oh, you think Kevin's a narcissist totally. too? Ah, all right. Oh my well, so, he, did you meet Hillary? Yes, no empathy. Absolutely. Did. And I never wrote a speech for her. You think uh, she might hire you? Uh, on the, why? Why are you proposing that? That's uh, uh, she's um, one 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 crisis at a time. Sure, first she's got elected. Got to get elected. There's something uh, in my uh, that looks, sound. Everyone's, in my, right. everyone's no, not me. Thing. Don't worry about it. That sounds pretty likely that she's going to get elected. Yes. Um, Here's what here's here's what I would tell her. It's basically what I just said. You know, the, 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 she's too good of a lawyer. Is basically her problem when it comes to humor. You really have to be willing to concede something, uh, to get something back. Uh, you lawyers, you concede nothing. They make you prove you're even in the room. You know, uh, she's too good a lawyer, um, and that has w- conti- will be a hindrance to her when it comes to using humor as a tool. Yeah, I, I, it's gonna be hard. It's, it's going to be, she's, she's, charm is not her thing. Although I hear that personally, she's much more charming than she is yeah. in public, but she, she's stiff in public. I mean, there's. Well, you know, it's also, know. it's also got to be believable. I mean, you know, he, the great thing about these, these dinners is you get to say, these White House correspondents, the one day of the year you get to say, speak the subtext. You get to say the thing that everyone knows that few people say. And you really got to embrace that moment. It's a great opportunity to say the unsayable or the unsaid. Not the un- actually, it's not the unsayable. You can say the unsaid. Right. You know, comedians can say the unsayable. How, how awesome is Barack Obama at these things? He's, he's been very good in recent years, especially. Yeah, he's yeah. really good. He's good, right? He's, well, he's down to earth and he's younger. Well, here- but, but wait, let me, let me ask you something about I think Hillary Clinton gets a really bad rap for what you said. For being stiff? For being stiff. Because look at Al Gore. Maybe the stiffest guy well, ever. He, Dukakis. One of the jokes Double in his thing, he says, we're not having a White House Christmas tree this year. We're going to hang ornaments on Al Gore. Well, that, that was your joke, right? <laughs> or something well, like I also that. Wrote, <laughs> I also wrote a bunch, of, a bunch of speeches for Al Gore, too. And he was an actually interesting contrast to Bill Clinton. You know, there are plenty of jokes you could not tell Bill Clinton because he would get mad. Like, thing, you could not say some jokes to him because he would get mad. Not at you. He wouldn't get mad at you. 
but it, they would incite fury in him. Like, Al- jo- like Jewish jokes? No, jokes oh. <laughs> about things he didn't okay. want to concede. Yeah. Um, or didn't believe to be true. Um, you could tell about Al himself? Gore. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Um, you could tell Al Gore any joke, and he would say, he, he could, Al Gore could see himself from across the room in a way Bill Clinton could not. I totally agree. When, even yeah. when he do- does the documentary, you could tell he just doesn't have a way to. He's not like outwardly funny, you know what I mean. But he, you could tell he get, Al- you could tell who gets a joke and who doesn't get a joke. And I do think Hillary Clinton gets these jokes, but she's so guarded. She's so afraid that she's gonna lose that she, you know, she won't win. She knows that if she just Why plays. Why are you defending Hillary Clinton yet again? What is what's your thing with Hillary Clinton? I'm just saying. I think she's she gets stiff. A bad Everybody rap. knows she's stiff. She's not. She's not even close as stiff as any. Of the last whatever, pre- yeah, George Bush, right. stiff. No, first one, second one, both stiff. No, terribly, way no. more stiff than Hillary. Uh, no. Oh my God. B- Barack Obama, not stiff. Not stiff, but smooth. He's a loose food. I would, I would say like she's yeah. to, to use Barack Obama's term. She's likable enough, <laughs> and but he was deriding could, her. But go ahead. Actually, I didn't think he was deriding yeah, her he at was. that time. I actually thought he was actually tr- trying to be kind at that moment. I have a different take on that. All right. Um, but I also think she can. You know, she, she's got room to improve. Um, I think you have seen moments where she really has done well um, sitting, you know, on Saturday Night Live and sitting across from these guys, you know, the late night guys. Yeah, she was good on SNL. Yeah. She can do it. She can do it. Um, Although I thought when she was, when she was uh, there giving those speeches with Elizabeth Warren, uh, Elizabeth Warren made her look small to me. Elizabeth Warren was so much just more at ease well, and She's and, very and powerful. Smooth. She just doesn't want to do it. I don't have anyone here. Can I take yeah, take, take, take. Dan, you want to go to a spot? Or uh, Lenny, you want to go to a spot? Talk well, I, I'm sort of the... Actually, uh, we're, we're, I'll go. I'll go. It's fine. Yeah, go ahead, go Lenny. Ahead. We're almost finished anyway. Go ahead. Go ahead, Lenny. This is, this is real comedy seller action in progress. Yeah. Uh, we have no Maybe comedian. Somebody didn't jump. We make signs just for people who speak Spanish. So people who speak Spanish don't die in New York City. <laughs> Anybody speak Spanish? Nobody. One. One person. And it, was, and it wasn't C. It was yes. So she knew exactly what I was saying. But we, we need a whole sign for people's... Uh, with the question marks at the beginning and at the end of every sentence. What up, Bob? What? So I'm on the train. I see a sign in Spanish. And it's a woman holding onto the pole on the train. It takes me three weeks to translate the sign because I'm like, this has got to be really bad. You know what the sign says? Hold on to the pole. You're telling me there's people out there, Spanish-speaking people, that don't know to hold on to the pole on the subway? Do they get on the train? Hola. Whoa. Why do they get a sign? There's so many groups in New York City. Why don't you just give everybody a sign? There's gay people. Where's the gay people sign? Be like, hey. Hold on to the pole. Not that pole. People think we're just angry. Like, we're angry because this, it's moronic, some of this shit that we have to put up. People, everybody know how to use their Metro card? Everybody know, have, you, have you seen one of these, everybody? Yeah, because it's not really that fucking tough to go through the thing. But if you, how many times do you have to hit it before you should die as a human being? Without, boop, 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 boop. Holy shit, how many times are you going to bang your crotch on the thing? Before you look to see that it will let you through. If you take, I've seen this happen a hundred times. You take ten girls... There are nine on the inside and one on the outside. And the one on the outside is having a nervous breakdown every time. 
at least once a week. She's going, I can't do it. It's not me. It's the car. I can't try this one. It's I can't try. Forget it. You guys go. You guys go. And she died right there. It was weird. Oh, first of all, I'm outraged that you suggest that I go. I thought I was the, uh, the co-host of this show. Uh, yes, Dan, of course you are, but I, we only have five minutes left, and I thought you would want the spot. <laughs> and, and I was what's best for the show. Uh, very funny. <laughs> but, no, the and that was the way he expressed outrage. Was also <laughs> no, I thought, I, it was, you know what? It, <laughs> I'm not outraged, but uh, that was interesting. It was a tough position for that me to be in. That was interesting because, you know. I had, to, I had to ask one of them to do the spot. And yeah, how about one the I one that's not the fucking co-host of the show? First of all, right. you're here every week. He figured Lenny's not usually here. Well, so Lenny's you do not the, the co-host of the show. Sophie's choice, so it was not. It was. It was <laughs> I'll, let me tell you why. Because if I said, hey, Lenny, you want to do that spot? Dan would have thought to himself, oh, he must have think Lenny would be the stronger act. You would have thought that. No. No, no, I would not have. Okay. No. And uh, because, you know, we have an issue on this show, uh, Mark, that uh, you're not <laughs> privy to because you're not here every week because you're busy at the uh, Soundbite Institute. You're going to now <laughs> witness another person who cannot see himself but, from across uh, the room. Easy, but uh, easy. But, um, but uh, Noam does not, does not, uh, is not able to tell people to leave. You see, uh, this show is a lot like a New York City apartment. Easy to get people in, harder in hell to get them out. Now, uh, oftentimes, we'll have... For example, all five mics will be taken, uh, and, and a, a sixth person will come, and no one will say, hey, come sit down, come sit down. And instead of asking somebody to leave, he'll say, share a mic with Kristen. <laughs> and, and that's a problem. And that's a problem. All right, but none of that happened just now, and it was, it was kind of a non sequitur. And, right, and but you're so afraid of telling a guest to leave that you'd rather tell your co-host to leave. Can we edit this part out? Or edit is this, it out. This, <laughs> this definitely got to have to be in gold. the show. <laughs> no, edit out. This is gold. <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna add out. You want? We're gonna add out your ISBN crap. <laughs> that's that's going to be added out. Thank no, you for the callback. That's a sign of a good joke. Uh, yeah. No, I, I really thought you'd want to do the spot. I know you love. Uh, um, and also, and this and this is just while you're playing uh, uh, therapist here. What Dan doesn't also understand is that I was taught to be more gracious to my guests than to myself. And by extension, that means Dan. So that if there's a guest here, I have to, that he has to get priority over you simply because that's how you be gracious to a guest. So I have, I-, I You're gonna witness a historic moment on the show, Noam? Yeah. I think you may be right. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. All right, so anyway, Mark, we're, we're, actually, uh, we're actually at the 60-minute spot, and, and um, I envy you. I'm, I'm a huge political I was say, junkie. I going to say, this seems like a dream job. Yeah, I, and yeah. Uh, I, I... Let me share with you a joke that I, I wrote at the very end of his presidency that I didn't have the courage to share with him. Okay. The joke was, maybe I screwed up. Pre- traditionally, presidents raise money in the Oval Office, and have sex in the Lincoln bedroom. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he wouldn't. So that's a joke I wanted to pitch, but I knew I'd no. be escorted to the curb had I done it. Yeah, no, that, that's, I think that would be too self yeah. too self. Yeah, that's a bridge too far. A bridge to the 21st century too far. What's your favorite joke that you wrote for him? Oh, my God. What's your tombstone joke? Wow, that's a good one. I, um, I literally have a tombstone joke, but it never worked. Oh. I, I, I'll go back. I, I'll, I'll tell you the best joke. Uh, the best... No. Uh, that William Henry Harrison joke is a good archetype for what you try to do with these jokes. You know, I laughed out loud at the Al Gore joke. The funniest joke I wrote for Al Gore is Al Gore is so boring. His Secret Service code name is Al Gore. Oh yeah, that's good. I've, I've <laughs> but anyway, actually, and the story tells a story about how I came to quote unquote write that joke, and I'll leave it at that. Okay. Um, 
But any event, writing these jokes is is a great exercise and a great privilege and a great opportunity to kind of lend the sensibility to these political, these powerful people to help them express themselves in ways. They, these people need help sometimes, and they need the help of comedians and people with comic brains to kind of say the things that are hard to say. And you don't get that many opportunities to do them. And when they come on days like the White House Correspondents' Dinner, um, they're really well-advised to fully embrace it. These, all these jokes work along a risk-reward ratio, and the greater the risk, the greater the reward. Yeah, I mean, I could imagine it, that it, you had to have balls of steel because you know that for the president to succeed, he has to be self-deprecating. But pitching a self-deprecating joke, he, he could find that insulting. Well, especially this president. Bill Clinton was not open to the, the idea of self-deprecating jokes, and I was the coal mine, the canary... Uh, the canary in the coal mine who had to bring them into the coal mine. Well, you, and, a, and, and then he goes on, on stage metaphor. and he tells the joke yeah. and if it bombs, it's like off with his head, right? Exactly. <laughs> like, like, well, but if it kills, it's like, oh, I guess I really am. Well, well the that's way the thing that, about politicians. That, too. Politicians intuitively understand that a great joke will last a week and the wrong joke will be reprinted in their obituary. And right. they understand that's why they're so risk averse. Yeah. And if you can move them along the continuum towards greater risk, there is reward to be had. And that's the craft of it, to writing the joke that m- minimizes the risk and still reaps the reward. Now, when you, when you, you talk about self-deprecating jokes, another factor is you, when you present a self-deprecating joke to Clinton, you're basically insulting him already. That's exactly it's right. It's like somebody came out to me and said, I wrote you a joke. Like, you know how you're unfuckable? Anyway. <laughs> but you know what? You, you know, that's right. But, but so when you you're doing to. that, it's kind of like a mind meld. You're, you're bo- at the moment when you're writing these, when I was writing these speeches, <laughs> we were both Bill Clinton, okay? And I am just lending him the part of my brain that I felt he needed. And I... You Here, look take, a little bit like that. I was going to say, you do <laughs> actually look and, a little weird. And I said, please take this because you need it. That was really kind of how I approached writing the jokes. I had a band at the time, and his brother, Roger Clinton, came and sat in with my band, by the way. Uh, are, we, are we wrapping up? We're wrapping up. We're wrapping up. So the, the, uh, you can find out more about him on, on uh, soundbitesrus.com. Soundbiteinstitute.com. What was the site that you told the story on? The Moth. Moth. The Moth. So. Yeah, The Moth's a very popular, yeah, cast, very popular uh, storytelling thing. It, yeah, it's... Yeah, I don't. I don't and there's I also a story on the cover of this book that's no longer in print called Clinton and Me. There's a picture of me holding an egg timer, and there's also a story on the moth about Bill Clinton. It's called Bill Clinton and the Egg Timer. It's all about the uh, telling him, uh, bringing to him a joke, a self-deprecating joke that he could not have hated more, um, and the audacity I had, the stupidity I had to bring it back to him. And fearlessly say, no, you really need to tell this joke and explain why. He was not happy at the time. Uh, it told the joke. It worked out fine. What's the, the joke? Whole... What's the joke? It was, a, it was a sight gag. After a State of the Union address he gave in 1994 that went on for an hour and 18 minutes. Right. And the joke was he was going to show up at the alfalfa dinner, walk out to the podium, take an egg timer out of his pocket, <laughs> set it to five minutes and put it down, and just let the room laugh at that. That was, and then, and then as the, as the speech unfolded, the, the, the oh, he clock keep, would go off. More time. He'd keep on it, giving himself more <laughs> That's time. That's very funny. That was the organizing structure of the joke, where he just keeps on giving himself more time after the. He didn't egg do timer. it. <laughs> he wound up doing a very truncated version of that joke. Got the only laugh of the night. Of was one of the worst nights of his presidency. Or he, he gave a, a tone deaf speech that 
went over like a lead balloon. The only half full. Hillary he hasn't chosen her her comedy writer yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's the story I told that is basically the most harrowing moments of my life was being in a room with President Clinton as I'm telling him why he needs to tell this joke about the egg timer. He walks out of, he turns on his heels, walks out of the room, goes up to the podium, tell rewrites a speech in real time. He's dying up there like you've never seen a comedian die. And as he's dying, he reaches for this egg timer out of his pocket and says, maybe this will help. And he gets his only half laugh of the night. It was a pity laugh. It wasn't even a real laugh. Yeah. Um, but I got, after the speech, five days later, um, he, I got a note uh, in the mail that said, Dear Mark, thanks for your help with the alfalfa dinner. You're a funny man. The egg timer was great. Oh. Which was as close to an apology yeah. as I could ever hope to have, and more right, in more than I deserved. But he did apologize. I read that as you know, as an apology. He knew that he should have gone. He, he should he yeah. should have had faith in the idea that he should be making fun of. He didn't want to concede the idea that the speech went on too long. Right. That idea offended him, made him angry. He didn't want to give it credence. Conceding the obvious cost what nothing. What does John Fogarty have to back. do with any of this? He gives, <laughs> conceding the obvious cost nothing and bring and, and gives oh. back something. Anyway, thank you for coming. Absolutely. That's uh, yeah, uh, I'm, uh, congratulations on, on witnessing history firsthand. You know, your primary source to history. That's got to mm-hmm. make you feel good. Mark Katz, Clinton and Me. It, it's out of you, print, huh? Well, it, you can get it on eBay for eleven cents, like I said. But you don't. But you're not going to. Yeah, right. You don't get any more money um, out of it. I've, I've made. I've made eleven cents. I put it in the bank, and I'm done. I hope that you get hired by Hillary. Uh, thank yeah. you, Dan. Thank you, uh, Kristen. And uh, check out Misery Loves Company with Lenny Marcus and Kevin Brennan. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. Thank you. Thank you.